0: Hello, I need to have a preamble here before we get into this remarkable conversation I had with Michael Rhodes. I find often that when my frequency comes into alignment with of some others, there can be a lot of electrical issues. Now anyone that's been around me knows that this electrical stuff kind of follows me anyway with cars and there's a bunch of stuff. It's it's interesting. And usually I do find that it's a combination of me with others. And so as I've gone deeper into conversations with people through a digital platform, I'm noticing a pattern, and this was no exception. We had issues from the onset, and then during the recording of this, my Roadcaster Pro just shut down, and fortunately I had my Zoom link going for redundancy so that I don't lose audio file. However, when I went back to move into it and edit it, I realized that we lost about half an hour of this chat. And so the whole beginning is pretty much gone. I was able to find a good starting point when we get into the nature of duality. And just to set this up a bit, You may find the stuff that Michael was talking about in the beginning in other interviews and, of course, in his work and his books. So we were just feeling each other out at that point. So it's sad, yes, that it's gone, but it was nothing that you cannot find somewhere else. And so I just wanted to come in and let you know why it kind of starts in the middle of a conversation, really. And so that is something that needed to be brought forward here. I loved this conversation. It is just what I needed at this time. As we look at the date right now, is December 13th. We recorded it, I don't know, many days ago, perhaps a week ago, I'm not quite sure, and when we look at the powerful stuff that's going on tomorrow on the 14th, major alignments all across the board, this is what needs to come forth in all of that, and so as with everything, the timing is stellar. Here is this gift, to the world. I'm giving it in its entirety to the outer world, rather than having one half on the outside and one half behind the gate. This is a gift to the world in its entirety. It needs to be for this specific time and I hope you enjoy this as much as I did for those that find these words and this message of inspiration and depth and soul and connectedness and eternity. Michael is a remarkable man, an elder, sacred soul, deep well, and... Here it is. So we will move into the opening song, and I will do the closing credits after that at the end of this chat. Enjoy. the idea of the breakdown of duality how do you see that playing out right now
1: i think um that's an interesting question um these questions tend to look for concrete answers and what we're going through right now is anything but concrete yes Uh, let's put it this way everybody talks about my mind and your mind and and I can't make up my mind, which means they're confused. <laughs> there is only one mind, and mind is universal. So there is how we access and use that one mind. You know, mind is universal. Metaphysically, I've spoken with many beings, other beings, and from other places, but and the, all use the same mind, but they use a, a very fine and much higher frequency of mind than, for instance, I could. But this is the this is the problem of a question like this. We talk about ourselves as human beings, as physical, personal, personality beings, but in truth we are metaphysical beings having a physical experience. Yes. And through our physical experience, the design is that we learn how to create reality, our own reality. And so People, uh, most people on on the earth, as you realise, have no idea of this. You're here to get money and be rich and be well known and be liked and be wealthy.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, <clears throat> that, of course, is just a complete game that we're playing, and humanity's lost in that game. So something has to pull us out of it, otherwise it was not heading in a good direction. Anyway, so duality, for instance, duality is is the our It's our relationship with the moment. Now, if you live subconsciously, you have no relationship with the moment. You're, you're, you have a program, a subconscious program, of all the lives you've ever lived. And dominant in that is fear. It would be nice if it was love, but it isn't. And so you get some startling realities. For instance, you cannot love subconsciously. There's no such thing, it's not possible. And yet, about 94% is considered of humanity lives subconsciously most of every day. And so you can begin to see why every great teacher who's ever come to this planet always talks about love. But what I look back on and wonder, didn't any great teachers ever see that we didn't know what love was? That we thought love was an emotion. And love is not an emotion. Love is the power of creation. Now we can emotionalize love. So you look across uh, and see a beautiful woman or a beautiful man and your heart lifts and your energy lifts to a higher frequency and you're in love. Um, In fact, what you've done is found somebody whose frequency matches yours and there's this beautiful energy flowing between you, emotional energy. So we emotionalize love. It's rather like if you get in a car, you, you don't become a car. You are now a passenger in the car. And so if you, when you experience this, the emotions you feel are the passengers in the vehicle of love. But we call it love. Now that's okay, except we trivialise the word. And so what to me is happening is uh, this part of this duality is the breakdown of this. It's breaking down because so many people love their family and hate their neighbours because they're noisy. Well, all that is just games in illusion. There's no possibility of that. You can't love your family until you love yourself. Self-love is incredibly rare. And when you're loving yourself, you love humanity. Because you have no choice that you are humanity. It's yes. not humanity in you or other people in you, it's all one. And that's how I experience it there's just oneness. And so there is only love. So the way we were heading, love, if anything, was receding from our grasp because we have been moving deeper and deeper into a subconscious state, which is maintained and and um, rationalized by by the intellect. And so you can only love in the moment consciously, and I label intelligence as conscious intelligence because we have no access to intelligence subconsciously because intelligence only exists in the moment with love. And so there's a vast breakdown in the unfolding potential of humanity. So what we're going through has to happen And from the souls of humanity, there's been a cry for help for at least the last century. And it's responded to, there are many, many beings out there, vast numbers of different types, who are putting more light and love onto the planet. Now that, and I I hope I'm not over-speaking here, that breaks down duality. And so let me give you an idea. Yesterday I went out with some friends to look at a vast, huge fig tree, which has been photographed and put on the cover of my book that's just come out in Japan, entering the secret world of nature. And so I want, to, we wanted to do a video where I could send it to my Japanese organisers, saying, "Hi Yasumi, Happy Christmas and all that," and this is the tree, <laughs> which is on their cover. <laughs> Now, the night before, not the night we just had, but the night before, there were tremendous storms, and we got a beautiful flooding rain, but the storms were very destructive in areas. And that's another interesting one, the destructiveness of storms is directly linked into the destructiveness of humanity. Mm. And where I live, we never get a destructive storm. We get the rain, we don't get the destructive hail, we, we get winds, but we don't get any destruction. And if we do, if a branch falls, it will fall on my path where I can pick it up or chainsaw it up. It's quite astonishing and very noticeable to us. Anyway, so on the, on the little part along to the tree, it was only a half a kilometre to get there, um, but it's a sealed little path to make it easy for the elderly and wheelchairs but there were several trees across it and so we had to give up and on the way one tree, a massive branch had fallen out and I thought well I'll move this to make it easier but what I didn't do was notice that it was a stinging—a branch from a stinging tree oh. now the Australian stinging tree gives you the worst sting of any vegetation in Australia it's really quite bad and some people have a lot of problem from it. Well, I, I picked the thing up, would you believe, in shorts and a t-shirt. <laughs> so I got stung in that moment badly, all up my legs and on my arms. Oh, my. Really badly, and it leaves fine hairs in your skin. And you, if you try to brush them off, they go in further. And it's, it's not very nice. And the moment I did it, the moment I did it, as I dropped it and felt the stinging, I realized instantly, well, here's a lesson in being conscious. Yes. So the cause and the effect were in the same moment. The cause was my lack of being conscious. I got stung by one 40 years ago. Um, But in my sort of mid-80s, I began to forget about that. And, And it was cause and effect. I'm instantly, because anything that happens like that, I always look at it, so what am I to learn here? And so I knew, be more conscious, Michael, and now deal with it. And today, I've got a very, very good immune system, and I did a few right things. Like, you go over it with sticky tape to help pull the hairs out. But anyway... What I did last night when I went to sleep, it was still stinging. I woke up this morning and it's pretty well gone. Now that normally is a six weeks process. I think I processed it in about six hours. Why? One of the things was I instantly knew why it had happened and knowing why um, everything like life in that moment was completely clear about it. Okay, you don't need to suffer any further. You've got it. You've got the message. So that is duality, and over the last century, like I get a little story I often tell, you're laying tiles on a roof, and it's the end of the 19th century. And you just finished, and it's knockoff time, and the, but there are about 10 tiles up there that you should take off, but you don't. You go and finish your day, and you leave the tiles up there and forget about them. And then in the 20th century, one day you're walking along a lane in the city and a tile slides off the roof and hits you on the back of the head and you're hospitalised. That's the tile you left like 80 years ago. <laughs> and so cause and effect was very far apart and people just didn't get it. But gradually over the this time, it's been moving closer and closer until cause and effect now are very visible to anybody who's aware. You can see exactly what you did and and, and exactly why you're going through what you're going through, if you're conscious and if you're aware. And yet humanity still blames. Now, the way out of that, it's the way out of everything, is by being conscious, being more aware, being more conscious, being in the moment and actually what I would call being alive.
0: That's a very important distinction. I can't help but mention here that you share this idea of eternal life, eternity, this eternal now, and longevity that I have been speaking about for quite some time, and I encountered this in your recent interview. I believe death is a choice, and we ascribe a lot of power to the choices we make and this is a good example the duality thing and as you had mentioned in your recent interview with the french lady and i can't re- i can't much. yes i it, it just warmed my heart to hear your response in that and so i wanted to kind of get into that a little bit now that we've parsed out duality and we're looking at this construct of reality and the idea of eternity and the idea of how we embrace the openness, the, the big room that is eternity and how we make choices to live within it. And then that dictates this construct of apparent time.
1: Well said. Generally speaking, we look at uh, people look out their eyes at life. And uh, they look at it, they, um, they don't look at it from self, they look at life through the eyes of the intellect. People look at life through the eyes of yesterday, and last year, and last, last week, and if there was something negative then, they bring that negative forward because that could, same potential could happen. In other words, people, most people look through the eyes of fear and think through the energy of fear toward the future. So they just keep getting a future and more of the same. Now we could do that for eternity. And in fact, I'm sort of aware that humanity has been around for millions of years. We've been on this planet and, and thrown off various, through various convulsions of the planet when it's been through change. Uh, we've been using this planet as a kindergarten for, uh, for a very long time. Far longer than anything that um, any form of science gives credit for. I mean, they think we're about two hundred thousand years old, and um, two hundred million would be getting closer to it. But they see us as physical, and uh, and I don't see it that way. And so, and we this is not the only planet where we are. So we've been around for a very long time, and before we. We're not even human. I mean, as souls, we've been around forever. We're not human souls. We're souls having a human experience. Yes. And before we were having a human experience, we were having other experiences. I I won't go into this, but I've met humanity long before it's long before it moved into experiencing humanity. And so, this is an appropriate place. But when you begin to think in terms like that and speculate in terms like that, you're moving a lot beyond all all linear restrictions. And we're very restrictive. Um, Some of the things that keep us away from eternity, for instance, are our emotions. Now, our emotions and our thoughts create boundaries and barriers and keep us within certain parameters um, of expression. Now, we don't have to stay within those parameters, but we do. Now, I've never done drugs, but I'm aware I have a few friends who have done certain types to try for consciousness expansion. The problem is with drugs, you can expand the consciousness with no question about that. But when you come off the drug, you come back a little bit further away from it than when you started. Mm because we can do it without drugs. And that doesn't make that bad or wrong. I mean, it simply is not a way that works unless your whole life is dedicated with a vast amount of understanding, like some of the the old type shaman. I don't mean the modern ones. Yes. I think that's more of a term, but some of the shaman who might be the 50th generation of shaman in their tribe, they have a lot to draw on, that modern drug explorers don't have. But anyway, the point I'm making here is they use that to break down those borders and boundaries and those parameters, but you don't need to. And so when you break down those borders and boundaries, then you use mind in a different way. So I've become very aware over the last decade that I think rather differently from most people because my thoughts, like for instance, for me, death is not, like let's say there's COVID's going on and people are fearful and will be queuing up to get the vaccine. If they put a vaccine in my body, my body will be dead because it's certainly not going to happen. Yeah,
0: but, <laughs> same here.
1: <laughs> but the point is, fear is incredibly restrictive. They have fear of death. Now, death doesn't That's exist. Right? Now, if you say coming into a body is birth, into a physical body, then leaving that body is birth. Yes. I mean, you can't have it one way and then the other way unless, unless you use mind in an incredibly restrictive way. So I have absolutely no fear of death at all. Now, I'm 83, and I probably have never been healthier in my life. I'm not quite as strong or not quite as flexible as I once was, but that is a minimum amount. I have all the strength I need and all the flexibility I need. But my body is in a, in. I, well, let's put it this way. I have a beautiful relationship with myself. I love who I am. So therefore I have a beautiful relationship with my body. I talk to it and we discuss things. I call it max, which is short for maximum potential. <laughs> And when I got stuck, I said to Max, okay, I need to get rid of, I, we need to do something about this. He said, well, it was a stupid thing to do. And I said, yep, I've done that. Now. And so we do it. So your relationship when you, when, when you move into being an, an eternal being changes with your physical body. The physical body probably has an age limit, but it's way beyond the normal human lifespan. Because if the thinking, the mind, and the consciousness is restricted, the body has to express those restrictions. And most people in their 80s, well, I'm getting old. And so their body begins to display all the symptoms that they've created because they believe they're getting old. I don't believe that. I just don't see that at all. To me, the body is better than it's ever been and the brain and and everything is better than it's ever been. So that, my perception and my view of the world changes my relationship with myself. It changes my relationship with everything. So, okay, I did have, I I had an enlightened view of life, and having experienced, being through the experience of unconditional love, which was incredibly life-changing, then suddenly... The eternity is the landscape of my life. And, and moving out this body is simply, oh, wow, new adventures. You know, this, is going to be, this is going to be so much fun. Mm. And so it's, it totally eliminates fear from your life. Now, you know, and I know that most people, the deepest level of drive and everything in their life is about security. And what is security-based? in? here we're back to cause and effect. Yes. So they like to be secure, but don't want to be insecure. And so people swing between security and insecurity um, from one life to another and during each life, secure and insecure. But when you see that secure and insecure are two words to describe an illusion, a state in the illusion, then it, that ends. It's rather like the swinging pendulum of a grandfather clock. And, uh, Or should I say, grand person clock? No, I'm joking. <laughs> a, grand, a, grand, a, grand, a grandfather clock. Now it swings from one side to the other happy, sad, secure, insecure, fief, fearful, um, not fearful, backwards and forwards. But when it comes to a stop in the centre, And it doesn't move at all. That looks static. But in fact, that is the place of the most dynamic energy possible because it's still and silent and it's in the moment. That, to me, represents eternity as well.
0: This is all very powerful. And when... We consider the fullness of it just as a as a contemplation because it is it's so vast and yet it's it, at the pin of a needle.
1: That's right. Yes, I mean you know you you our our galaxy, our Milky Way galaxy. Apparently, you can travel at the speed of light for a year and you're still in the Milky Way galaxy. <laughs> and. Uh, That makes it pretty big, but I have found, you see, when you get out of, I mean, you're probably aware of Monroe's work and and astral travel, which he called OOBEs, out of body experience. Yes. Yes, I knew he would be. uh, But it occurred to me a long, long time ago, if you can go to sleep and, and let your consciousness leave the physical body, and go with his, with the soul, as it were, on a soul journey, then you can obviously do that awake. Sleep is just reducing a layer of resistance. And so I found eventually that I, I practice and I found the way to do it awake. And so I can sit down in a chair and close my eyes and basically, or not physically, but metaphysically, I can be anywhere or any when I choose. But then so can everybody. But when you do that and you begin, you see, I have, a, I have a way of explaining this. You have the word individuality, which is a, you know, a well-known English word. Yes. But you can also look at it in divided duality. <laughs> you get it? Yes. So individuality becomes in divided duality. Now, as I put it to people, I say, so one part is your physical personality, which is mortal, and the other part of that is your metaphysical self that is immortal. Now, where you put all your attention, and everybody agrees, of course, you put 99.9% of your attention into the physical, personal, mortal self, basically ignoring completely A magnificent metaphysical self, the internal being we are. It gets no energy at all, no focus from birth to death, and nothing happens. Well, so I, in myself, reverse that, and 60% of my focus would be in the physical because I live in the body or most of the time, but I would have 40% of certainly a focus in the metaphysical. But what that does then, it makes your universe grow bigger, your world grows bigger. And it makes you sometimes very lonely because you're listening to a conversation and you realise you're listening to people talking um, illusion the whole time. There's not a word of it. Nothing makes sense. I mean, it's just, it's, I, I got past that. But for a while, it was a very, very lonely place. But I have a wonderful wife and some very dear friends. And, um, and I got past that stage um, so I don't have expectations anymore. But the world, the the universe is vast. And then when you, uh, like um, um, Bruce Lipton talks about, as a physicist or, or biological one, anyway. Anyway, he um, he talks of the of our world we um, as frequencies, which I experience, and that uh, we see one percent. Um, and that's the, obviously the frequency that is slower than the speed of light. Yes. So our physical body can only relate to light slower than the speed of light. But ninety-nine—that's one percent. The other ninety-nine percent is uh, on a higher frequency. Well, there is us also. What we call our future, where we are living on that higher frequency and seeing a different, completely different reality, in exactly the same place, on that higher frequencies. And I've learned metaphysically, I can move into quite a number of those higher frequencies. You know, I've moved into into places that we will one day, humanity one day be living in. And uh, I don't like going backwards, I'll tell you, into them all the same. I've looked at that, and I personally don't like it. But it's not bad or wrong, but I would (laughs) not choose that. And so the world grows bigger, but you can't talk about it. Writing about it is very difficult because it's you, when you experience eternity, you in consciousness move into a place so far beyond the intellect. And so, even as I'm talking to you, I'm aware in this very moment, there is so much I can't say because it doesn't fit in linear time or a language. And so, it can't be seen. And yet, I experience it, it's in my consciousness. But I can't write it or speak it. I've tried, particularly in my books, where I can spend time with it, but I can only, it's, it's as though I could do, it would be like a, hmm, it'd be like spray painting over a forest. And you could describe the color of the spray paint and the shape of the forest, but you couldn't describe what's in the forest because it's, it's just unavailable. And that's how it is. And that's a lonely feeling. But, uh, and yet I've, I've had to learn to deal with that. And if this sounds crazy, so be it. But I've had to learn to deal with that because you know, I'm still a human being. And uh, But the part in me that is not limited to the body and the personality and to linear time, it's in everyone. Yes. But nobody, very, very few people use it. And therefore... You know, we're here, nature is on this planet as the natural evolution of consciousness, and humanity is here as the creative evolution of consciousness. We're not evolving. I can tell you um, from what I see metaphysically, we really haven't evolved much in consciousness in the last 200,000 years. So this cycle has to come to an end. It has no choice And, of course, it will end through us. So people we call the elite and people we don't like are, in fact, the ones who are going to break it down, and they've had a long training for that. And the rest of people have to either awaken and move to a higher stage or... No, just continue on more of the same that doesn't mean we come to an end we're eternal beings yes, uh, and et- half an eternity stuck in more of the same <laughs> not a good <laughs> place to be so I do my Facebook stuff and I write my books and I travel the world and do all I can toward but all I can do in the end is be a signpost pointing in a direction and I say that way works because to me, in humanity, there's only two. There's two things, and we live a life that works. That's nothing to do with money. It's to do with soul growth. It works or it doesn't work. And probably today, over nine, just over ninety percent live in a way that doesn't work. Doesn't mean they're not happy. It doesn't mean they're wrong or bad or lesser. It's just not in a way that works as regards to growing the souls we are and a few live in a way that works, does grow the soul. So, although I'm regarded as a spiritual teacher, I look at it as two ways of life, one works, the other doesn't, simple as that.
0: Yes, I'm sharing this with you. You brought this up and I wanted to go into this direction for a bit which is I'm calling it cultural cannibalism at the moment because it's global. <laughs> I've been I've been I seem to be the one who coined it at this moment. Uh, however, I have noticed, Michael, that there seems to be, so we talk about, Love is not an emotion. It is a vehicle. It is a creation. And I'm looking at where we are collectively as uh, a whole here. And nature is a reflection of that. And I wanted to get your ideas on the aspect of possession of the vehicle. I'm noticing this separation. So we've, we've got the the duality aspect going here and that vastness of eternity where we are. And I have been looking around when I traverse outside of this apparent lockdown (laughs) and uh, I'm noticing a dramatic shift in the continents, in the uh, constitution of people where they seem to have checked out and there seems to be some darker type energy within their vessels. And I was wondering, have you seen any of this going on? It seemed very
1: apparent to me. When you have a, we have souls, we are souls. Most people say they have a soul, but we are souls. And if we're, if we're conscious, then there can be no what I call position. Um, I've encountered quite a few people in my life that are possessed by a soul where the body has died and the soul has been incredibly fearful. First of all, we need to eliminate that souls are all wise and all wonderful and all <laughs> That is that is a belief that is so false, and particularly <laughs> among some of the people in the world of spirituality.
0: Yes, that
1: is so false. Most this is a kindergarten planet, and most souls are reasonably young. I mean that when you have no linear time, then you don't have any aging. But we have to have terms of expression, and in terms of eternity, we'll have to say that some souls are very young. Now you can get. Mind-altering drugs, but we'll leave that entirely alone. You can get people who go through an immense shock. You've heard the expression "Gazuntide" or "Bless you," right?
0: Oh, yes, of course.
1: Well, of course. So, in the uh, mid centuries, and you know, around fifteenth century century, you sneeze, they would say "Bless you" or "Gazuntide" or whatever which was because when you sneeze, they believed your aura flew open, which protected you from bad entities, and, and imps and demons could jump into you and, and get into your body while your aura was thrown open through a sneeze. And then you were safe because you'd just been blessed in that moment. But in fact, although that's a little bit fanciful, in fact, there was, there was, um, some, knowledge, there was some knowing behind that. I uh, worse today day, was seen completely clueless about what's going on. So I had a friend who's long dead, and at 18, his father went missing. This is in Australia, so he was looking for him with, with other people. And his father had been working in a the, the field, and there was a big trench. And he found his father three days later, and his father, the trench had collapsed, but his head and shoulders were out. But the earth had collapsed on him, and as he breathed out, it sort of consolidated more and more, and so he had died because he got to the point he couldn't breathe. And in three days in Australia, he had got maggots crawling out of his eyes and mouth um, when the boy found him. The boy was 18. But, okay, so the father had died, and the moment he died, he no longer was in linear time. He was in a completely all time occupies the same moment. So he was no longer in linear time. And so if the days and weeks passed, for him, no time has passed, and he stayed by the body because that's the only thing he knew to do. He was a body, and so he stayed with it. And when his son came along, his son went into an enormous shock, which throws open the aura, and his father stepped in. Mm. And so now this one, the body, had two souls in it. Now, he wasn't a malignant soul, but he was another soul. And we don't do that. Dolphins can do that, but that doesn't work for us because we live through the intellect, whereas souls, uh, Dolphins live through perception. And, um, and so by the time he was 60, he was definitely heading toward madness, uh, which eventually killed him. He went completely demented. And I'm aware there's a percentage of people with dementia who are possessed. There's a percentage, not large, but it's there. And there are other reasons for that, which is a totally different subject. That can happen. Well, now, a lot of people, people are writing me and saying about there are people walking around with no souls. I have never seen one or experienced this. When the soul departs, the body is finished. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's still birth, the soul that departed before it was born, and that can happen at any stage in their life. Now, there is such a disparity between the soul and the personality body in so many people that the soul will leave, and um, that um, person seems to have a darkness within them, but they expire pretty quickly, in my awareness. But with this um, pandemic of fear that we had, that they put a funny name to, instead of flu, they call it coronavirus, (laughs) which is basically (laughs) the same thing anyway. Um, Instead of uh, what we have now is a pandemic allowing a whole lot of souls who are ready to go to move out easily and quickly, swiftly. Yes. Uh, And and because... For every person under 65 who gets it, there's one in 300,000 who dies. Over 65, that all changes. And, because, and the general thinking is, well, I'm getting old. And unfortunately, as people age, they become more fearful, not less, more. You know, I'm doing the reverse. I, I don't have any relationship with fear. To me, it's not in my life. It hasn't been for a long time. Yes. Any more than I have any relationship with worry or anxiety. I've forgotten what they feel like. But that is not normal. And so basically, you know, in relating to your question, there is a an opportunity at, at this stage for people to just, for souls to leave. And I think that's going to increase rather than decrease. And I think the next couple of years are going to see a lot of souls leave this planet. Um, Age won't so much be a factor eventually. See, in nature, everything in nature works with timing. In humanity, we don't work with timing. We're not spontaneous enough. We're not in the moment. Nature can't leave the moment. Humanity's almost so alienated from the moment, most of them can't get in it. And so in the moment, there is all the perfect timing and synchronicity. Out of the moment is blunder and and push and um, try to force your way through life. That's what we do as as a human race. Of course, there are many, many exceptions. But as a human race, we do that. And so we're in times, what I've described as you heard me with Lila, we're in the times of what I would call a great destructuring because, and we call that destruction, so there has to be a destructuring before there can be a restructuring. You know, if you've got a bit of land and there's a New York skyscraper on it, and it's old and antiquated and unsafe, they destructure that one and then build a new one on the same place. But it's something that is entirely new, and so there is a great destructuring going on in humanity and in nature, but All life is eternal. Nothing dies, not even a mosquito, which sometimes aggravates (laughs) me. But uh, all life is eternal. God created life, if we want to use a simple term, God. Not death. We created that. And we created religion to give that um, validity. Um, But it's not real any more than religion is.
0: I often try to bring the concept to people of death in the idea of a line where they think they come in at birth and they leave at death, but if we if we circle that and we get to a single point, you know, you realize it's the same thing
1: mm, yeah, and, I mean even in our, you know, among spiritual people, reincarnation, you're born and you die, it's complete nonsense it's a continuity of soul
0: yes Absolutely. So with that, Michael, the idea that swims around this, and I use the word idea a lot because I think that it allows the mind to stay open and not get trapped. And so the idea of, of death as a vehicle of control, as a vehicle of fear, seems to me a structured uh, example of a virus of sorts, of a mind virus.
1: That's, a good, that's an interesting thought I've never looked at it that way but I would have to agree it's, it, it is and in fact you know a vaccination is is piles into insignificance next to that because you can't vaccinate against fear. <laughs> and so it is that's a very very good description I'll give you absolute credit for that. that's an excellent it's like a it's like a capsule of, um, of saneness. But uh, uh, once you swallow that capsule, you're going to remain the same, and and uh, and you're you're stuck with sameness. You just repeat the same patterns endlessly.
0: Yes,
1: absolutely. I mean, I sometimes tell people, and they look at me rather strangely. But today, there's probably more as many, nearly as many people committing suicide as are leaving by the coronavirus. Not I, as many, I know. We're heading in that direction. And then I say to them, maybe, maybe they'll be able to break the habit. What habit? Well, suicide is a habit. <laughs> and if you've had six lifetimes and you've suicided, you're going to keep suiciding until something breaks the pattern. Yes. And it gets fascinating. If, if you get a couple who are married and they have guilt issues, uh, they a uh, soul will come to them in the child that has um, a problem with, with um, suiciding, And so the child, the person will eventually suicide and the parents are going back into guilt. What did I do wrong? What should I have done? What couldn't I have done? And so these little patterns in some people keep going round and round and round and round and round round forever. And we look on it as fortune and misfortune.
0: That's a trap. And it's like a Chinese finger trap. The more you pull away from it, the harder it clamps onto your fingers.
1: One of the teachings I go up that I sort of developed and, and really pushed quite hard, and it says an old uh, one that's fairly well-known, like you create your own reality. Well, that's so easily dismissed. The intellect can throw that away with one flick of its brain. And what I put it is, in every moment of your life, you are creating the direction and the content of every moment of your life. Once you realize that, you realize you can't blame anybody for anything. Every situation you're in, you've created everyone. There's no simple, uh, well, but for. It's for everybody in every moment. That's the way. And if you have aggressive tendencies, you'll find yourself in situations where you're threatened. If we had no aggressiveness, there'd be no wars. It goes on and on and on and on. But in every moment of your life, you are creating the content and the direction of every moment of your life. To me, I see that as one of the most powerful principles in humanity right now. And that goes hand in hand with where you focus your energy flows and connects and creates.
0: Indeed, intent in two is such a big deal that so many people lose sight of that idea. And this is why they hold on to stories of victimhood, including title. I jumped through these hoops, I created this story of I hold this title. Now I am qualified. These are all illusionary and transient. This whole experience in its nowness, is still a transient experience, like the fractals. And I was wondering, as we're talking about stuff in the material plane, especially in the body, uh, genetic coding, there seems to be, in my opinion, as far as observation, something that's going on with genetic coding in all of this experiment that we're seeing in this realm.
1: Yeah, I would agree. Um, Genetic coding is an interesting one. When I read, um, what's her name, Um, Jolie, um, Angelique Jolie or something like that. Oh, yeah. She uh, had her breast removed because her sisters and her mother and her grandmother had had breast cancer. And I thought to myself, well, you're a very courageous lady, even if you are stupid. uh, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I mean... It's the, the belief holds that together, and of course she probably would have got it because she believed it.
0: Yes, and, you,
1: and we create our own reality. But I had an experience which I won't go into at the moment. But I had an experience of unconditional love, and that that moment changed my life forever because um, I it was the first. Well, I don't know how you describe it. This is another one of those things you can't describe. Anyway, I had I experienced unconditional love and it swept through me and I decided I would keep with it forever. But what I learned was, that in this moment of unconditional love, I was aware that it was a metaphysical experience, but then it began to move through my body. And let's put it this way, I was aware of, of my heart changing, and so we have about seven groups of muscles in the heart which be fairly irregularly. There's no cohesion to them. Um, that's not wrong or anything. You could live a good life like that. But I was aware of my heart becoming cohesive. That's the only word you can really use. Or in harmony. Immediately the energy of the heart was amplified enormously. And uh, I was aware of this. It was like I was... a um, an observer and the experiencer all rolled up in one, but there was no intellect involved. It was just like an observation, a child observing and experiencing something it had no understanding of, uh, because I had no real understanding. I've learned to put it into words. And so this energy from the heart moved up. Now, I've been um, right brain dominant and practicing being left whole brain for a long time. And uh, the dominance always remains, but you can move into a whole grain. So this energy moved up to the whole grain. Then the energy moved to the pineal. Now, that's a whole different story. And the Paleolithic times of pineal was way, way bigger than our pineals now. And um, our pineal should be the size of a bean at least. Yeah. And in fact, it's the size of a grain of rice. And uh, there's a tragic story about which... We could look at it later, but anyway, it was very healthy because of the way I am. I've lived trusting my intuition all my life, and uh, and so my pineal then that was connected in. Now, the pineal metaphysically is the interface between the physical and the metaphysical. It gets very, very interesting. The pineal, what we call the third eye, gives you access to universal wisdom. And um, you, you, you can you move into the wisdom of humanity throughout the ages and beyond the wisdom of humanity. Um, you can move into a state of direct knowing there, mystical cognition, as they call it in the esoteric language, where anything you need to know, not want. Anything you need to know, you can know. And it's, it's, it's lovely. Like, I enjoy that. But anyway, and um, from there, then they move down from this. And I suspect that is the Holy Trinity, Heart, whole brain, pineal. Mm. To me, I'm pretty sure that's the Holy Trinity. That's what my intuition was telling me at that moment. And then that energy moved down to the solar plexus, which is the chakra of the emotions. And I was aware in that moment of all my emotions moving into balance. And it's proved to be that way ever since. They just moved into a balance. And in in my stuff I teach, I teach emotional balance. Because if you focus on your spiritual growth, you can remain emotionally a child, you know, immature. But if you focus on uh, balancing your emotions, you grow your spirituality as well. You can't help it. But one will leave the other, but the other one won't leave the other one behind. Anyway, uh, from the emotional balance, this energy then moved out, and this is the point. I was aware that my DNA was changing. Now, I haven't had any checks many medical. I keep away from doctors as much as possible, which is quite a lot. Same here. <laughs> and, uh, but I was aware of the cells of my body. I was aware of them loosening. Um, I was aware of them sort of becoming more flexible. The walls of them were becoming thinner. Um, the body went through changes, but the DNA, I was aware, was changing. And uh, we can do this. So in other words, the main two things I teach is unconditional love and emotional balance. I talk about a lot of other things as I am now, but that all hinges around that central pivot. When you're loving yourself, it's difficult to get sick. It's difficult. You can't worry. You can't have anxiety. You can't have stress. You can't have fear. None of those things are in because they're all illusions. They just fall away. And your your life changes. Your age is no longer a factor. Your it doesn't age you. That's down to us whether we age or not. There are certain tiny restrictions that come in, but very very little. And so we can change our own DNA, which I realise is already known now. That's not new. But we can change our own DNA, and so everything like as we get more and more vaccinations going but in, the, in from 1962 to now, it's gone from about three or four to about 80 in the 80s. But as we do that, down goes the immune system. And so up goes the dependency on chemical, you know, chemicals to hold us together, and they don't do that. And so we're going through changes uh, in, in the whole way that humanity expresses, but because you're the creator of your life and if you don't want to change, you're not bad or wrong, nobody says, no cosmic law says you must change, then we're moving into these two streams of consciousness so that the new human can express their newness and the old will, will move into what I call a sixth cycle, sometimes the seventh, but in my awareness the sixth and it really doesn't matter. They'll move in another cycle, maybe 200,000 years, but on a slightly higher frequency than this old one is ending. And so with a slightly higher frequency, there is a slightly greater potential and higher potential to find who they are and and to learn why they're here in the next cycle. Meanwhile, those who are ready will move on into cycles. And on that cycle or on that stream of consciousness, there will be many ex- different expressions. Some will express more in nature, others in science, and they won't be separate because there's no such thing as separation. But there'll be in different streams of consciousness in that one great river of consciousness, and and all the old and the new all occupy the same place anyway. It's just different frequencies. It gets complicated,
0: doesn't it? <laughs> and yet, it's not because it does break down. To that's
1: re- it. You're right. It is so simple. It's <laughs> yes. Like God, this is so. It is so simple. It's unbelievably simple. <laughs> Incredibly simple.
0: It really is when you when you <laughs> get the macro macro. And I find that it is uh, something goes on where people get really bounce into their stories, which bring them into the micro, and they lose sight of the the bigger scope here. I wanted to...
1: That's a good factor, you know. That's a very good factor. We all have our stories, and the stories um, become the life. Yes. If we can throw our stories away, we take away the borders and boundaries, (laughs) and our stories are held together with emotions and beliefs.
0: And that's powerful magic. That binds people. This is self-binding.
1: You know, I could tell you a little story about that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, do. (laughs) A a Story in a story. It was a story that sort of broke a lot of my stories as regards to a greater reality. Because metaphysically, we live in a greater reality. Many, many years ago, I was on my journey, what I call my journey into nature. And I didn't like people. Um, it took me forty years to learn to like people. Yes, and I didn't like myself either, of course, because I was people also. <laughs> but uh, but it's an interesting thing, you know. As a child, I didn't. I, I I went to a private school and was betrayed over and over, and I learned to not like people, meaning school teachers and anybody in authority. Yes, so I really almost developed a hate relationship with them. Um, basically it was aimed at adults. And yet when I became an adult, I was therefore in a hate relationship with myself because I was an adult and I couldn't wipe out the conditioning of my childhood. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that for many people, that's the that's their life. they just created it and they're going to live with that for the rest of their, their um, incarnation before they move on. But anyway, so I turned to nature, and um, you might have heard if you've read any of my books, um, Pan came into my life uh, very dramatically and very traumatically for me, because although I like the idea of Pan, the idea of meeting such a being had no place in my life at all. But anyway, Pan came into my life and was a very, very, very powerful teacher. And Pan, I want to say straight away, is not a being or a person. Uh, it, it's nothing that you can put in any human words Pan is energy. Not even an energy. It's the universal energy of vast intelligence and uh, and which is vast love and which is vast compassion but it's not always showing compassion. All the mythology of Pan is just so much rubbish. Anyway, and so I come out one morning and I'm going down, I'm, I'm living on the edge of a river. The river had about a a, a, a hundred foot, hundred and fifty foot bank. So I was living in a house on the top of that bank, and I had to go down the bank to the river among the trees. And as I was w- wending my way down, I saw Pan. When I r- arrived at this place, two weeks after I arrived there to live there in a rented house, a bridge board. And so old fashioned bridges in Australia are made of immense boards, huge boards, and washed out in the flood. So it was about, um, you're American, so it's about um, 15 feet long by about um, a foot wide and about four inches thick. And I wedged it between two rocks and it was jutted out over the river and I could sit on it and it was great. And I called it my bridge board. And so as I, and it was completely inflexible, it was like it was as rigid as iron. And so I was going down the bank toward it to sit on my bridge board because I wanted to learn to listen to the river. Took me five years to learn to listen. Mm. Most people never do that. But I learned to listen. (laughs) Anyway, I was on my way down and suddenly I saw Pan. Um, in a way that he'd show himself to me every now and again, leaping up and down on the bridge board, and it was as flexible as a willow wand. Mm. And I went into immediate shock because it couldn't happen. I mean, it, it was—I was faced with total impossibility. Apparently. and I just, <laughs> and just my brain immediately decided I was asleep which I happily accepted. And so I wanted to wake up, so I smacked myself round the face way harder than I meant to, and knocked myself completely off my feet and fell halfway down this, the bank. And um, and when I looked, I realised I I'm still awake and the pain was still doing this. It was a bad experience. I got to the bottom um, where this thing right down the bottom of the bank next to the river and I'm watching Pan leaping up and down. This is a being that doesn't exist on a breech board that was completely inflexible, completely. You could not flex it. There's no possibility of it. And it's flexing tremendously like a willow wand. <laughs> and I, I, all I wanted to do, in fact, I did. I curled up in a fetal position and cried because emotionally I couldn't deal with it. Mentally and emotionally, this couldn't be. And I, there was nothing, I didn't know what to do. All I could do was curl up in a fetal position and cry. And Pans said to me, this is it. These are, this is your boundary. You've reached your boundary. And I said, what are you talking about? And he explained, your life is bordered and bounded by emotions and beliefs and thoughts. This is your emotional boundary.
0: Mm.
1: And I, I was staggered. And then he did a double somersault on the air, and landed standing on the water, and I had to go back and just cry and cry and cry and cry and cry, I cried my eyes out. But over the next year, he just he dismantled my emotional borders, and that made my world gave my world the chance to grow. What again? This, this is why a lot of people take drugs to try to dismantle the borders yes. and boundaries. And uh, I've never taken any, but I can only assume that's why they do. And so it was painful, but I had to just let them go. Gradually, 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 I let them go. And uh, my emotional boundaries go back a long way now.
0: It's such a gift, and it really is the core of what pan is, is panique. And uh, that's a gift and a major, major lesson indeed, clearly. Look at where it brought you. I, I wanted to look at this idea. So there's, Michael, there's all this stuff going on with the idea of cannibalism. So if we look at stem cells being human Stem cells being put into flavorings, and now they uh, have—they're developing growing meat from the cells in your cheek that you can grow, that you can print at home. This is real. This is out there, and have have steak from your own flesh that you grow. Uh, There's synthetic blood coming out now, and all this. And I'm wondering. In the stem cells, the human stem cells are in so many products. It's unbelievable when you go looking. And I cannot help but think what's going on here with this idea of eating. Now, everything eats. There's always, you know, everything eats... I come from a stance that there's no good or bad because everything's trying to live and exist. And so it's a balance. However, when we start thinking about cannibalism and that we're developing this kind of tech and that without our know-how, without our, our consent, things like human fetal cells are in products under food coloring and under food under weird names and now you can grow flesh from your cells and your cheek and, and fake meats that are actually real meat, but not coming from a being that was sold. So, uh, you know, a sacrificial being, I'm just, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. It seems it's a very, it's creating a very interesting narrative for me to put my chops on, <laughs> so to speak, and think about what is what is this pathway that the collective seems to be on with all that?
1: It's a pathway that uh, will take the, those who are focused on it and using it. It's a pathway based first in fear, and because and secondly in money. The fact is, the person who, who creates us. The ability longevity is now the biggest cash cow in the market of, of all this. Yes. Longevity. Yes. And so those people who are looking for to make us live a hundred years, two hundred years, are going to make billion trillions trillions. That's what they're looking at, the vast amount of money they can make. And so you're not going to find any intelligence behind this you're only going to find the worst aspects of the incredible intellects that have been developed. Because the intellect is a tool, and it's a very, very powerful tool. But it doesn't hold intelligence. It doesn't hold hands with intelligence. It holds hands with arrogance, and arrogance holds hands with greed, et cetera. And so let me just step back a bit here. We're in the ending of our fifth cycle. One of our cycles ended in human insanity. Mm. And they took this technology you're talking about now, this is just a repeat. They took this technology to a much higher level and it ended up with insanity, mass insanity, that was the final destruction of the human race. And those souls go back and lick their wounds and start again. And so once again... We're moving back into the same pattern. This is what we do. Repeat endlessly until we become conscious. And so, it's not new, and it's terrifying. But uh, this will remain when we, when as humanity uh, goes through this process of choosing their stream of consciousness, this will go into the old because it's not new. It is not new in any way, what shape or form. Um, this, their whole thinking is based in a different place from uh, an eternal soul. And so this will continue, and uh, it, will, it, will, it will continue to its final a- end point, which is, will be insanity. And that will be in another cycle, and you and I and people like us won't be there. And then they're still eternal beings. But for those who choose fear and not choosing love is that choice – I and mean, if you don't consciously choose love, then you take what's left. And basically, um, it's not love, because love has no It's an absolute, but it's the only thing that is. And so to move with the fear, that's what they'll go through. Those who move with the new um, will experience something that will leave that behind. Now, when when you are loving yourself and you can bring about all the changes that you need to. For instance, um, disease means out of harmony, Disease, uneasy, out of harmony. When you're in harmony with yourself then you don't get disease and there's no need to look to cure it. And so we have those two different directions. One is the direction of love and all its benefits. The other is a direction of the intellect and all its so-called benefits. And this is part of the great separation that's taking place. I call it the, not separation, I call it the great divide. There is a great divide taking place. And I really believe that most, the majority of humanity will go with the more of the same and the intellect and the cleverness and the stupidity. Clever holds hands with stupid. Uh, <laughs> But that doesn't make them bad or wrong or negative or anything. It's just that is the direction they're going to explore for as long as they need to explore. It's not easy to be conscious. I mean, for a tree, it's very easy. If it's going to stand in one place for 500 years, it doesn't want to be thinking about things too much. But in that tree, there is a vast um, and ever-growing intelligence and consciousness that is not, only the physical form is anchored to the earth. The consciousness of the tree um, is not anchored at all to the earth. And, um, you know, when you travel metaphysically, you begin to experience this sort of thing. But, uh, you know, there is those now ready to explore that. I've seen a future, and I've been in it, I've visited it, where humanity... A number of millions, quite a number of millions. I doubt whether there was a billion, but that's only an educated guess. Um, Moving into, this is a future that is happening now. It's already there. It's not a future. It is the future for some of us. It's a future that um, is happening now, just the same as the past is happening now. It's all happening. Everything, all time occupies the same moment. And so spherical time, it's all happening now. <laughs> Hard to wrap your head around. Anyway, in this now happening, there is uh, the world is healed completely. But I mean it can heal in a in a one heartbeat, because the pollution of the earth is a reflection of the pollution in humanity. Yes. I mean, is our thoughts? yes. That doesn't mean again, I'm not saying bad or wrong, but it simply is there. And, uh, and so in this world, there is huge forests and, and there are deserts and all of similar terrains, but all, all vibrant, all alive, absolutely vibrant and alive. And uh, there is, their humanity is nomadic. And uh, let's just say you get families and we'll say tribes of people who have a similar perspective of life and a similar experience. And, and a great compatibility. There's no rivalry or anything like that. That's all gone. And there's no there's no cities the way we know them. All gone. But as they go, they go walking and they approach a forest, the forest draws back. So let's say in this group there are 400 people. Their homes are floating along with them like translucent domes. They have anti-gravity. They have high tech, way beyond anything we have. I've seen this high tech, they have anti-gravity, so that home's flow, But they're not going anywhere with any, there's no, I've got to be so-and-so to do such and such, and none of that exists. And so they have a relationship where the forest, where a large piece over 100 metres of forest pulls back. And I've looked at this, and I think, this isn't possible. Trees pull back. Yes. But it is possible. And that stay open. It may stay open five or six years, and then eventually that will close back open, uh, close back over. And when they stop at night, I mean, these people are light and joyful, but they have a relationship with nature. When they stop at night, the trees provide fruit, and the earth, springs will bubble up, and the exchange then takes place, and the people bless nature. Mm. Now, what we in our arrogance, we don't realize that our humanity is a very sacred consciousness. It's not in the, um, you know, man was made in the image of God. That is complete rubbish. Yeah. You know, we made God <laughs> in the image of man. But in, in the human consciousness is creation. We are universal creators, and creators have incredible energy. Not every race of beings has our power even though they're far more developed. Our ultimate development, which is, well, you can't talk time, is a long, long way away. Um, our ultimate development is pretty incredible. Um, when, and especially when we start creating our own universes, you have got a lot of responsibility there. And so when we bless nature, I watched it, it illuminated nature the whole area around began to illuminate and it spread out through the forests, and it went a long way before it finally faded down. And that blessing, I realise, is the evolution of the whole of nature just as we, as the blessers, was the our, also our evolution. And so they, in, in the cities which don't touch the ground, which are like a bird's foot, with a city over the top of it. I won't go too much into this. But anyway, in there, there was incredible science and technology where they would take um, some of the genes from, shall we say, a luminous um, fluorescent creature of the sea or something of the sea with full cooperation, yeah. with conscious. With conscious acceptance and joy of this happening from the creature, and splicing and putting into certain trees with their cooperation, and so at night you would get trees that were completely luminous at night. The the tree was uh, cooperated in this. The whole species they loved it, and so instead of in the infliction we do today. With gene splicing, all this. This was all completely done on a very much difficult, different level. And it was done on a metaphysical level, but then entered into the physical expression. A technology way beyond anything we've got with a much greater consciousness. And I could keep going on. Like, uh, nobody flew because it was a complete why would you want to fly as regards to airplanes? The technology was there, but it was completely in. It just wasn't used. But ships that went over the ocean were like a village sailing over the ocean. Um, not very high, immense, like huge playing fields, but like, no, bigger, like big villages. But if there was a storm ahead, as we approached, the storm would just drop away and move back because there was a cooperation between humanity and all the Dalic energy of everything. Yes, and it was a world of complete cooperation with nature and humanity. That's happening now, uh, but you have to have the consciousness to be able to live in it. And that's what we're choosing now, how we relate to life. And in the end, the final irony is our relationship with ourselves. Yes. It's the only relationship that matters. All the rest is... Um, a reflection of our relationship with ourselves. And as having traveled 30 years and met some wonderful people and beautiful people who are my friends, I would still say that the average human relationship with themselves is very, very poor.
0: Yes, oh, we see it all around. We have to come to this, Michael, as you know. I make it a point to smile at myself, to <laughs> embrace myself. Otherwise, I realize everything else is tying into those programs of death and uh, self-cannibalism, if you will. This is a very important concept. And it's easy to see, looking around at others, how much people really do detest themselves. We see it all over. And it's nothing that you can bring them to. They have to Start to understand this is a reflection. This is where I, one of the things I wanted to touch on with you is.
1: Could I, could I say one thing here?
0: Yes, of course.
1: I, I, I don't like the term self cannibalism. Uh, I wouldn't like to see that becoming a common word because it's too, it's, it's a bit, it's a scary term. Um, but I, I acknowledge that it's it said it exactly. I call it self suicide.
0: Okay, that's that is I, a good I look
1: one. At, I look at humanity, and I listen to conversations and places, um, you know, eavesdropping as it were, and I listen to people talking themselves to death, eating themselves to death, <laughs> yes. eating themselves to death. Yes. And I, I think how remarkable this is, but then that's okay.
0: And that's at the crux of what I'm saying is you can see that people do this to themselves, and at one point, I'm sure I recall. Long ago, where I probably played into that too, I just don't see it anymore because I smile at myself. This is poignant here. This subconscious and programming submission and lies that we see in the programming that's being thrown out to the people through media and and films and in the guise of what now has become art. This is all out there. It can be treacherous to uh, move through the journey. And yet the journey is important. We have to go through the journey to get to the self-love, to the self-smiling, to the eternal moment. But it is increasingly uh, becoming more apparent how how this balance is out of ease. And And we've talked about We've talked about this and duality and all that and how the outer world's creating this lockdown and all this stuff of of self-loathing that's reflecting back. Now, my world is beautiful. (laughs) My world and my bubble of space and my my the wood around my house is is flourishing and, and effervescent but when i get outside of it i'm noticing this and i cannot help but think look at the programming look at the movement of zombie movies and all this stuff and i'm wondering what do you say or what do you think what are your reflections on how that's Playing out in the collective, is there an agenda there with, say, other beings?
1: Everything connects. Other beings, other aliens, other whatever, it all connects. And so, you know, easy to say, yes, there's an agenda. The reptilian humans have an agenda on on using us as um, enslaving us, and there's no question. But... Nobody can enslave you before you enslave yourself. Yes. <laughs> um, now, if you, and uh, obviously, I mean, I'm really glad you're the one I'm talking to because uh, occasionally I occasionally have interviews and they, and they don't know their stuff. But this is really, I, this isn't an interview. It's a conversation, but I'm really yes. enjoying it. thank you, I as am I. Going, I can keep going like this for a long, long time. <laughs> this is fun. Um, but... It's, it's, hmm, I just don't know quite where to start. Okay, let's put it this way. Collectively, humanity went to sleep. And it's like God was walking on the planet one day and he had this joke, the latest inter-space joke. Um, But God's idea of time and our idea of time were a bit different. And so God got everybody to listen. And all over the world, people were listening. And God launched into this joke. And three months later, God finished the joke. And by that time, everybody everybody had gone to sleep. And God looked at some features and said, oh, damn it, I completely forgot about linear time. (laughs) And so everybody had gone to sleep. So collectively, humanity is asleep. Waking up is one by one. It's not going to be a collective awakening. Even now, under the stimulus of what's going on, and an awakening is taking place. It's still one by one. It's still individual one by one. So we're here with a consciousness of oneness to learn individuality. That's that's a pretty... And, and all we've done in that individed duality is focus on the physical because we're lost in our five physical senses which have become the four walls and the lid of our present. Now, if you look at a cloud in the sky, the cloud is the collective consciousness of humanity. Then it precipitates and falls as individual drops. And each drop is learning, and this is humanity, of course, each drop is learning that it is one with the all, but it's learning what it is to be the one. And as well as the all. It's only ever known the all but it's learning to be the individuality of one. And so it falls and reaches the ocean back into the collective oneness again, and up it goes, back, transpires and precipitates over and over and over and over. And we've been doing this for a long time. with the falling raindrops. We're the, in that stages of learning individuality. And, and in fact, we still haven't got away from the collective consciousness as you know and read on, uh, like a football stadium collapses, and there's a stampede to get out. And there's more people killed in the stampede to get out than were killed by the falling structure. (laughs) And it's a common scenario. You know, as soon as panic hits humanity, uh, that's it. We're back into herd mode. Uh, We're mob, And uh, you often hear the expression, oh, my God, it's a mob. And the mob consciousness, of no individuality in it at all. They all get consumed with fear and rage and anger. And so we're in that process of moving through that. And it's nowhere near finished. And so, again, I once found myself, um, when I first um, see enlightenment, it belongs in the moment. You could put a linear time on it, but... That's, that doesn't mean a thing. Enlightenment is never leaves a moment. And if you're wise, it continues to grow. And so when I first entered that moment of enlightenment, I felt an overwhelming sadness of humanity because there's enormous sadness and deep, deep um, pain in the human psyche. And I felt it badly. And... Uh, and I realised I've got to get out of this. And so I began to focus away from that into the joy. And the joy of humanity is transcendent. And although it's, it's a delicate... No, that's not the word. Although it's, it's in the minority, it's far more powerful than the sadness and the pain. It's incredibly powerful. And I learned to focus on that. But as the years passed, and I kept with this consciousness of enlightenment you continue to grow. You know, the cartoon that says the monk arrives at the top of the mountain and there's another one sitting there, okay, I'm enlightened now what? That's, that's ridiculous. <laughs> that was not from anybody who's enlightened, because it's that's the beginning. You're out of kindergarten, it's not <laughs> the end, it's just the beginning. And so this consciousness continues to grow and I began to relax inside. And I realized, this is, we are eternal beings. And there's nothing I have to do. You know, I don't even have to do anything. I don't have to go and talk. I don't have to do anything at all. It's all perfect. Because I see the world as perfect. And, um, and then I had an experience of a cosmic being. And this cosmic being said to me, uh, show me a world of flowers. And I loved it. And then the world without flowers... And uh, I didn't like that. And so the being said, but you say you say everything is perfect. I said, it is. And do you see the perfection of the world without flowers? I said, I get your point entirely. I see the perfection of the world without flowers, but I don't like it. I prefer it with flowers. Mm. And so then I started engaging the public and starting to talk, trying to keep in the background. It's only recently i was, as it were, come out. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, because I realised I had to, because, you know, in, in that 30 years, the first 15 to 18, I really tried to keep keep it small. And so this is how I am to this day. I look at what's going on. It doesn't make me sad or unhappy. I realise that every human being is eternal. They have their lessons to learn in, the, in their own pace and cadence. So I look past what I call the self-destruction of humanity because I realize they can't destroy self. They can only destroy bodies. And we're pretty good at that. Mm -hmm. And keeping bodies alive won't make any difference because that same thing is going to lead toward the insanity that they're obviously going to repeat again. And I feel a bit sad when I realize the incredible denial of giants once lived on this world and they had a technology far beyond us, and they were the ones that went insane and um, were lost. And when I see the evidence glaring as all hidden and suppressed, I feel it's a, that's a bit sad. But then I have to bring it back to the collective human consciousness, which is still destructive, self-destructive. You know, how many people... I always, at the start of an intensive, I would say... Okay, this is who you are. You're a magnificent, metaphysical, multi-dimensional, immortal, or eternal being of love and life. Okay, and let's start at the beginning. A magnificent. Everybody feel magnificent. Hands go up weakly. Okay. Are you magnificent or would you rather be mundane or miserable? Okay, then they're all magnificent. <laughs> then I say to them, okay, when was the last time you ever told anybody who said, hi, how are you? that you replied, I'm magnificent. Put your hand up. Anybody who's done that in this in this year, nobody had. And I said, you see, you like the idea, you like the concept, but you're not living it. Mm. You won't live it. You've got to live it. You've got to walk into the coffee shop and say, this magnificent being would like a cappuccino.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> and I challenged them to do that. And I, a few of them... I took the challenge, but not many. I like the concept of all this. And so we're living in a world that is so dominated by the subconscious, humanity, so dominated by the subconscious, which is a program. And that program is so um, self-denying, self in the capital S, that it allows the development of intellect, that the intellect can only follow the consciousness the consciousness is not raising, it's it's staying the same. And even lowering. Um, in the some of the brightest people, the consciousness in fact, some of the most clever people, the consciousness is going down. And I realised this is all that can happen. We need another cycle. So bring it on, bring on the destructuring. Because I couldn't care less if I walked out and I was told a bolt of lightning is going to hit you and kill you. I'd say, fine, let's get on with it. I've got new shores to swim toward and new adventures waiting. I'm fine with that. But as you and I know, that's not going to be the average person. And so, you know, I see all this happening and I too am a smile. I smiled yesterday at a little girl and she smiled back. That's dangerous for a man. Yes. Yeah. It's not, I mean, you know, I've said any man here in this room dare see a little girl walking across the park, would you dare go down on one knee and say hello and uh, maybe give her a hug? With no other intention, just to give her a hug. Yeah. And not one man said he dare do that. That's sad. That, to me, is so sad. A girl, a woman might get away with it, but no man would dare do that. And, um, and like, you know, I smile at, at, at people, middle-aged people from like 18, 15 and above ignore you. And when they <laughs> get to about 75, they start to smile again. Yes. Children and the elderly will smile. Not all the elderly, but many. But in between, this is the period where you've got to be on your defence, on guard. The world's out to get you. It's not a good place. And if people have to play that with their creation, have to play that game, so be it. So I'm completely relaxed about humanity. As far as I'm concerned with the what's going on at the moment, the game is already over. On the metaphysical and astral levels, it's already won. The light wins. Love and light wins. But only for those who are able to bring up the love and light in themselves.
0: Yeah. It's the reflection.
1: And and, and even for the others, love and light wins, because they're going to do it all over again.
0: (laughs) Until they get there.
1: (laughs) So in actual fact, you can't lose, but you can play by better rules.
0: Yes. Yeah, well, we see this. We see this, and that's why I say it is really simple, and yet... Of course, it has to be turned into something complex. I wanted to add into this particular part, and then I thought we would wrap up on the act of letting go. But before we get there, I wanted to see where you swim in these waters of sentience around electronic stuff, the AI paradigm in which we find ourselves in the connection of everything and the internet is is becoming an expression of self-awareness really
1: yes i agree um but if you go on internet i think pornography is still a dominant thing on internet i've never seen it but I still have every now and again somebody wants to be a friend of mine on Facebook and sends me a couple of boobs and think that's going to do a trick.
0: <laughs> I give those uh, too. <laughs>
1: I'm sure you do. <laughs> it's a crazy world, and yeah. so to me, we right back to the same as with everything: is consciousness. If internet develops with a higher consciousness developing it. It will can be used wonderfully. If AI develops from a higher consciousness, and I've seen futures where AI is absolutely stunning because it came from a higher consciousness, yes. it can only follow a high consciousness program. But if you have a lower consciousness and you program it to do good, at AI, it can't do good. It came from the it is the offspring of a lower consciousness, it is the physical manifestation or the electronic manifestation of a lower consciousness. And so today we have iPhones, we have all these electronic, microwave, destructive and dangerous. All our phones, destructive and dangerous. Now, you and I both know that we could develop an electronic world which would lift humanity. But so far, the electronic world lowers the human consciousness. So we're cleverly creating instruments to make our life easier, which in fact lower the consciousness overall. It's it's as simple as that. You can't help it because it all comes back. Everything is energy. And if a lower energy creates something with good intent, it still comes from a lower energy. And you and I both know these phones we have could easily have been created from a higher consciousness with a higher energy that would interface with us beautifully and almost raise our consciousness or, or or assist in the process or at least not be detrimental to us physically. Yes. Because if it is detrimental to us physically, it's detrimental to us metaphysically. But it comes first, always the metaphysical needs. Metaphysical proceeds to physical. You've only got to look at the energy metaphysically. I don't have a cell phone, my wife does, because you have no choice yeah. um, in this world today. But she keeps it well away from her body 99% of the time. And so the, uh, the energy of that is, is um, negative to a human's energy. But if you get a very negative human energy, they connect Well, it came from negative human energy. And that's not bad, wrong, but it came from negative human energy. And what was the first motive behind it? To make money. Now, the simple fact is we all have telepathic abilities. And we could have easily moved to the stage where we could have been telepathic. But telepathic goes with a slightly higher consciousness. So now, with the telephone, we've effectively wiped out any chance of telepathy. And uh, telepathy will go with those who move ahead, Um, or go with the new, they will move into telepathy. Because when I move out metaphysically, that's all I use is telepathy. And everything that they feared about telepathy was wrong anyway. This was privatism. In fact, it's far more private than a cell phone conversation where you sit in an airport and let everybody around you share the conversation. Um, it's far more private than that. And so the technology always reflects the consciousness. And what we've got is clever. Clever holds hands with stupid. Mm. Intelligence holds hands with wisdom.
0: Yes. Michael, that was the most empowering, beautiful sentiment on the state of AI I have heard to date. That is hopeful. <inaudible> and It's beautiful. And I... I'm just going to push that forward into the world when I find myself in those beautiful chats because it gave me hope. And right. it's, it's, I just want to thank you for that. And on that, let's go into this final bit. Just, like-
1: let me thank you for the invitation, otherwise it wouldn't happen. And you were very, very easy to talk with, and I enjoyed it very much.
0: Well, this is this is more than I, I could have. I didn't have expectation, but I am in here glowing and smiling. And I would like to wrap on this idea. You've gone on into talking about the art of letting go, all the way to letting go of God and everything, where you come into a transcendence, a personal space of transcendence through letting go and this is i think where the gates of eternity open up where this internal self understands what eternity is that we are that and everything else is somehow pushed away that wants to come in like tentacles there's something glowing about it so could you bring us into this idea of letting go the art of letting go
1: I can indeed. Um, uh, My late wife Trini died in 2006, and I would have said I had a magnificent love for her. But because I'm on my spiritual path and very honest with myself, when she had gone, and it was sudden with an aneurysm in America, Mm. when she was gone, I went into deep shock and grief. But gradually I had to, I got a massive amount of email. The first two six paragraphs were about Trini, and the last one was about me. And I realized that hundreds and many hundreds of people sharing their love with me. And I realized that they loved me more than I loved myself. And gradually I had to go through a year, which I've detailed quite a lot in my, um, one of my books, about um, um, Trini helped me and Pan helped me. The fact that I, um, and this is an, an enlightened state, that's a challenge to accept. I still didn't know what the um, enlightened state is—a state of spirituality, unconditional love—is the energy of spirituality. It's a far higher, far higher place, and I realised that I had I loved her as much as I could, but it was all emotions. Mm. There was very little love in it, and it was all, all emotional attachment. That was a brutal truth I had to face. So I had a massive emotional attachment. And after about a year, she went from being supportive about my loneliness to finally being um, making me see that I'm on my own now. And finally, she was saying to me, I need you to let me go. Mm.
0: Well...
1: I, I didn't know what that was. Anyway, I was in a metaphysical experience. She's standing in front of me, and she's saying, I need you to let me go. Next to her is like a, a fountain or, or a spring coming out the water, about a metre high and about half a metre wide. And she was covered in a black shroud of a horrible energy. And I realised I, I had created this black shroud it was all over her, like as if somebody poured tar on her from above, T-A-R, tar. And it was all over her and, glued, and hardened off. And as I looked at it, it came to me, this is the substance of my emotional attachment because we're created beings.
0: Yeah.
1: And what we, what we focus on, we create. And this was my emotional attachment. And I was shocked and horrified and ashamed and humiliated. I didn't feel good at all. She said, I need you to let me go. And I said, I'm getting there. I think I can do this. And it was unthinkable to me. You know, I wanted to spend my eternity with her. Let go. I mean, how can I do that?
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, and so, but I began to feel the energy rising in me from the soul of, of letting go. And in the spring that was pushing up from the ground. I saw a huge block, a distorted block of this, this um, substance, black, tarry substance. And, um, and I realized that it had been in my energy field, in, this, in my love always. It had impeded my love forever. And, uh, and as, it, as it rose to the surface, like a, a big lump, like as big as an armchair being pushed out, Horrible, uh, revolting stuff. Terrible energy. And suddenly it's like inside me there was a rush of energy and I knew I could let go. And I did. And I let go. And that exploded. It was gone. It just exploded into a million pieces. And then two things happened simultaneously. Trini was completely free of that and she was like a shining being. And the spring went up about three meters up in the air and nearly a meter wide and i stepped straight into it and that was when i went through what i described to you with a heart the pineal and all that this tremendous rush of energy completely changing everything in my physically and metaphysically or metaphysically and physically and i let go of trini and she was gone we had the a real good talk and I've, I've seen them maybe once since I let go and when I got home I let go of everything because um, I was in America I let go of everything I let go of um, all my emotional attachments and I found that the love grew stronger and I found I learned that you cannot have an emotional attachment and love and so often in my intentions I look say look at your partner could you let go of them emotionally let go, and they all shake their heads, of course they can't, I couldn't have done it, I couldn't have done it, but I chose to walk a slightly different path, maybe slightly ahead of a lot of people, and I, and Trini died, so I could learn that, I mean, I'm very, and I don't mean I didn't fit in with her gender of life, of course it fitted in perfectly with her, but it that had to happen, otherwise I would never have let go in our life, and this conversation wouldn't be happening. Because that was a year I intended to give up being a spiritual teacher, because I knew I wasn't growing. And there reaches a point, as I say to a lot of my people, okay, I'm gonna I've got a lead, collar on your neck, and I put a lead on, and it's snapped onto this table over here, and I'm gonna to say to you, let's go for a walk. How far are you gonna go? <laughs> And it's very graphic, because I said, that is an emotional attachment. It's stronger than that. Yes. So that's what it does. You can only go so far. So with Pan, I had to break down my emotional borders, and I had to lose my wife. Of course, she isn't us, and she's no longer physically in this world. I had to lose my wife to really take it to the step where I let go completely. And so when I love a person, well, there isn't any person I love because I love all people, but some personalities I don't um, particularly like, but I the, the soul behind it I love. as a person very dear to me who put me out of their life. I, that's okay because I love them on, on a soul level. I love that person unconditionally. And if they need to put me out of their life, so be it. That's what they need to do. That's that's Okay. Yes. It's not what I would choose, but it's okay because I love unconditionally. So you can't un- love unconditionally and hold on. There have to be one or the other. And, you know, okay, I went through it very painfully, but it doesn't have to be that way. And we're now moving into the potential of letting go. When you let go, this is why I'm comfortable with everything that's happening. I'm perfectly comfortable with it because I realize it's, per- it's absolutely perfect. You know, if you ask the caterpillar in the cocoon, how's life? He'd probably say, oh, my God, it's it's crazy in here. I'm (laughs) I'm right in the middle of an ecological disaster. (laughs) I started off with 26. I've just lost another pair. 22 have gone. (laughs) This is the end of the world. But it is just the beginning. It's the beginning. Yes. And the creature that emerges from that metamorphosis Is a completely different creature. The same proteins, the same amino acids make it up. It's a completely different creature. And flying, the butterfly knows the caterpillar, but the caterpillar doesn't know the butterfly. Yes. And as the butterfly today, I can look at the caterpillar and love them, love everyone, because I've done my time as a caterpillar. Yeah. No condemnation, there's no judgment, there's no criticism. It's fine. You're a caterpillar. Explore it. Be it. But be ready for the cocoon. And we're in it now. The world's in it. Yes. And not everyone will come out as a butterfly. Many will say, sorry, I haven't done the caterpillar yet. And so they'll do it again. And that's that's okay.
0: This is one of the messages I really get out as well. It's okay. It is okay yeah. to redo and re- move through Hardships and wherever you need to be, and this is part of learning to smile at ourselves.
1: Yeah, there's no should or shouldn't. It is as it is. That's my. That's what I live with. It is as it is. I got stung. There's no good berating myself, idiot. I should have known better, etc. I got stung yesterday, and it is as it is. And so let's let's leave it behind. And 24 hours now, 15 hours later, I'm free of I'm the pain normally that's a 6 weeks job, at the shortest. Yeah. It's, pain, it's a very painful stinger.
0: And one you'll remember. <laughs> oh, I
1: will <didn't> remember. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was not conscious enough. I wasn't there, fully conscious. You know, I was off in my thoughts. So, no, that, that, was, that was down to me, lessons learned. Life is vast of a scan, the vastity of life, is on a scale incomprehensible. But the, the vastness is still simple. Yes. You know, I had school at 14, so I didn't get very clever. I didn't get too many bricks at wall. I didn't do university. No chance of that. And so when I was 35, I, I realized one day something happened. I had no idea what life is. And at that moment, that's all I wanted. I want to know what life is. I want to experience life. I want to be life. And that became my journey at that moment. Nothing else mattered. Well, of course things mattered, but that was a number one. That was what drove me. Money, I was very, very hard up. I didn't have money because it it wasn't the journey. My journey was into the spirituality. And the already was 15 years of reading every book I could lay hands on. And when it comes to the moment of a transition, of a transition out or a transition into newness, um, leave the body or move on, everything I learned was useless. And so one thing I talk about now is the uselessness of knowledge.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: If knowledge is useless. If it doesn't join you in the moment, then it's worthless. Yeah. Let go. Let go. And the more you let go of, the more the moment is still in.
0: The more it embraces you. I have found letting go yeah. is the major thing. Lesson for me in life. I can only speak for myself, but it was
1: oh, you're right. the. I also call it surrender.
0: Yes, that's what I. There's where I like to lie with it. It is. It is a surrendering to self.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and but you know, obviously, with that goes an enormous trust.
0: Indeed, but as I was talking to recently, just yesterday, where are you? Wherever you fall here, you're falling on on the ground that is earth. And if it's on concrete, then there's a dandelion growing somewhere that you can eat the whole plant. And it will survive, you know, it gives you sustenance. <laughs> Where will you fall? It's all right. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. So, yeah. and the fact then you find that you haven't fallen at all.
0: No, you fall into earth, to ground, to this amazing nature around us. That's so,
1: one of my favorite. I'm not. I'm, I'm not a religious person, and uh, a few things in the Bible trigger my attention. And one is when Jesus says, "Not a sparrow falls." I find that one of the most profound sentences I've ever come across. "Not a sparrow falls." I often quote it. People look at me blank, but it means that everything, everything, everything. Is one, and not not one hair can be out of place in that one. In other words, not a sparrow can fall out of place, out of time. You know, metaphysically, I, I sometimes go with herds of animals, and a flock of sheep, they look pretty aimless. Every sheep is in its perfect place all the time. Yes, It never moves out of its perfect place. And if a coyote comes in and chases them, when the coyote's gone, they all move back into the perfect juxtaposition, each with the other in their perfect place. Most shepherds never see it, but it's happening the whole time. Energy will find back, always move back to its perfect place. And if the dominant sheep has been killed, then the, it will find his, a new perfect position. And that's happening in everybody's life in every moment, and, but most people are subconscious. It, sometimes they use the word unconscious. There's no such thing as unconscious. Everything is conscious of consciousness. But we can be subconscious or unaware.
0: Yes. You know that that the sheep analogy also fits with the schools of fish when the shark come in. They they come back into balance as soon as it's, yeah,
1: exactly.
0: it's a beautiful analogy. I am so sorry, come on. I just love that, and I hadn't really thought about that, but I can see it. I've seen it with the sheep, yeah. and I think it's yeah. a perfect analogy because so many people these days are called sheep in a negative way. And the sheep, the a sheep, sheep are amazing, amazing animals, so beautiful and giving, and they bring so much to our lives.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, the, um, many, many, many years ago, I read a tiny, small book called, um, and it, it was, the title was God, but the, his description of God was the endless song of infinite balance. Mm. <laughs> and I love that. And that. that is a beautiful description. I long ago let go of the, um, you know, the Christian concept of a God and, uh, And I embrace far more now supreme creation.
0: Yes,
1: that's where I found my emotional boundaries once again. I was metaphysically approaching supreme creation. And I had this realization at a certain moment if I continue, I will burn up like a moth before a vast flame, and I will never be human again, but I will still be eternal. I knew it would open up into something incredible, and yet there was a part of me that wasn't ready to let go of my humanity, mm. and and uh, just part of me wasn't ready to let go of the humanity. And there was no fear about continuing, and there was a terrible sorrow about coming back. But I came back. It's happened three or four times now, and each time I cry for about my uh, for about an hour or two because my emotions are so completely overloaded and I sort of found an emotional boundary but it's a long way back maybe one day I will keep going but I will see
0: yes (laughs) until that day
1: the words of the experience are one thing the experience of the experience is something else altogether
0: worlds apart Michael Rhodes this has been an extremely enriching interaction with you and I thank you from the the deepness of my heart for coming into connection with me on this, I I walk away brighter, and I thank you for that.
1: And I thank you very much for making this opportunity available so that I could talk to you and to all those who listen. I you know, I value such moments, and I thank you very much.
0: I'm deeply in gratitude. This just brought more light, and I'm appreciative for the illumination.
1: You're very, 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 very welcome. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. You
0: want to do it again one day? We yes, can do it. <laughs> let's let's do it again. <laughs> Until then, have a splendid day, both you and Carolyn you and your whole family.
1: Thank you.
0: Goodbye. Bye-bye. And there he goes, Michael Rhodes. What a gift! What a powerful experience! To have come into aspect with his beautiful soul, essence, being. I would like to thank the producers of this program, this show, this chat, this conversation. Sana Rebecca, Jason Lamson, Michael Watcher, Melanie Poe, Christy Tesmer and Marin Kramer I would also like to send out a thanks for Patrick Newland who has come on board and has been booking such amazing people Uh, he has such a remarkable talent with this I I send him requests and he magically finds them and and manifest it so that we may engage in these interactions collectively those of us listening and participating because hearing and listening is being part of the conversation and for that I thank you all for coming here to the Cosmic Salon with me and I hope to see you metaphorically next time.